Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Pastor Bob conducts personal interviews with Christian influencers from around the globe, helping Christian authors, recording artists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and yes, pastors and ministry leaders to get the word out about what they are doing to impact the world with the gospel. Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by listennotes.com. So you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads podcast today. We're so blessed that you're joining us. Today, we continue our discussion with Jeremy Britton about the topic of cryptocurrency for Christians. Hey, man, now if you missed any of the prior episode, you need to go back and catch up. Jeremy and I had such a great conversation about this very important topic. This ended up as a three-part interview which means I don't have a lot of time to recover information contained in a prior episode. Amen? So if you missed it, go back and catch up. Amen? All right, let's jump back into this interview now with Jeremy Britton. Let me ask you this. I know in in doing the research, said you had a heart attack at the ripe old age of 33. Did that just happen to occur during one of those financial crises that we talked about before? (laughs) Uh, I think that was more of a me crisis than the, than the oh, financial okay. crisis um, because my, my parents were both school teachers. God bless them, love them very much. They instilled a value of education. Um, but they were employees. They got paid by the hours they put into the job. And all my teachers through school were employees in the same thing. And when I got my first job flipping burgers, I'm not sure if I'm there to mention the name of the, name of the place, but... You can probably guess where everybody goes to work when they're 14, 15. Right. And if, if I did a five-hour shift, I got paid more than if I did a three-hour shift. So this social conditioning throughout my life for like 18 years, the first 18 years of my life, was the more hours you work, the more money you make. Mm-hmm. And so when I started my first real job in financial planning, um, I used to work long hours and you'd make good money because I was going to see people you know, after dinner, after the kids had gone to sleep and things like that. And... I just had this idea in my head, if I want to make more money next year, I've got to work more hours. I want to make more money the next year, I've got to work more hours. So I started off working like 40, 45 hours a week. And over a few years, I was up to like 76 hours and, you know, pushing to 80 hours. Um, And obviously neglecting my health because someone who works 80 hours a week doesn't have time to cook. Right. And I'd I'd be driving to an appointment at 4 o'clock in the morning, going to see a client, client that's like four hours away, and the only thing I can grab on the road is, you know, fast food. It's the only thing yeah. at that time, time in the morning. And then coming home at 11 o'clock at night, grab some more fast Same food because that's the only thing that's available that's right. at that time of night. And, you know, I didn't have time to go to the gym. I'd wake up in the morning, I'd have a couple of coffees. And, you know, at, at nighttime I was so jazzed and my head was full of figures and names and numbers and things like that. So I'd have a, a couple of shots of alcohol to get me to sleep. And so over, over a period of time, like I just gradually increased my working hours. My waistline also gradually increased because I wasn't eating the right foods. I wasn't working out. And I just had a very unhealthy lifestyle. Yeah. And I, I did get sick. I got influenza. Um, and I continued to go to work because I can't afford to take time off. My clients right. need me and I need yeah. the money and, and that sort of stuff. Yeah. So I kept going to work. I lost my voice. And I'm like, oh, I can't talk on the phone. I can't talk to my client. Maybe I can just whisper to my clients. Um, and I was, I was whispering. And 
there's probably a speech pathologist who's listening going, oh, my God, whispering is much worse for your vocal cords than <laughs> speaking normally. So you know that, but I didn't know that back then. And so I was whispering to my client one day and I turned my head and coughed and I tore my vocal cords in half. And vocal cords, they're um, cartilage. They're not just, yeah. you know, skin. That's so right. it took eight, 89 days for it to grow back. And I had to go and see a speech therapist and learn, basically learn how to talk again. Mm-hmm. And even that, that sort of illness, like they say, you yeah, know, God sort of taps you with a feather. If you don't listen, he taps you with a hammer. And if you don't listen, he taps you with a Mack truck. Mm-hmm. So I still had this thing in me that I need to go to work. I need to work all the hours and, and do all the things. So I went back to work again. And this was my first thing that was my little warning. And my second warning was having a heart attack. And I didn't realise at the time. I just thought I've got really bad heartburn, uh, indigestion, because I was eating a lot of rubbish food and drinking a lot of coffee. Um, but the pain just didn't go away, didn't go away, didn't go away, didn't go away. And I was sort of t- taking the normal tablets and things that you do when you've got heartburn. I always felt tired and run down. And after months and months and months, because I'm tired and run down, maybe I've got the flu, I'll just keep going to work and I'll get better next week or the next week. But after months and months and months, I finally went to the doctor and I'd had a a short circuit. So I was supposed to be going one, two, three, four on the valves on the heart, Uh, but I was just going one, two, three because I damaged the heart and the electrical signal was only sort of making it three quarters of the way around. So I was literally running on three cylinders the entire time. That's why I was so tired. And at 33, I I had three kids um, youngest one wasn't in school. The other two were in primary school. And the surgeon said to me after the surgery when they fixed this thing, he said, you'll be back here in 12 months unless you change your lifestyle. And I said, what do you mean? He said, most people have a heart attack and within, if, if you don't change your lifestyle, you'll have another heart attack within 12 months. And the second one could be fatal. Yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, I've got three young kids. Yeah. I don't want to be dead. Um, what do I need to change about my lifestyle? And he's like, well, I'm not a life coach. I'm a heart surgeon. (laughs) (laughs) You need to to go and find out what you can change. And, yeah, that was a big wake-up call. And I I was literally, it's it's like a gun to my head. I'm going to be dead in 12 months unless I make these changes. So I I shut down that business where I was working all the hours. I had a lot of expensive toys. I had a seven-bedroom mansion and a few few cars and TVs and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Sold everything. And bought a little a little beach shack and moved to a beach town and thought, I'm going to downsize my life. I'm going to start a new business in this little town. And because I didn't know if I was going to be alive or dead in 12 months, I thought I'm going to spend as much time as possible with my kids. So I literally dropped my kids to school at 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning, go and see a couple of clients, finish up work, go and pick up my kids from school at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and then take them to the beach. And my, my thinking was at that time because... I'm going to be working 60% less hours, my income's going to go down by 60%. So I've got an old car that I bought, you know, for like $5,000, got the little beach shack and, and deliberately created this very frugal lifestyle because, again, in my head, right. I was thinking 60% less hours, 60% less yeah. income. Yeah. And I didn't really take stock of it until about like six or 12 months later when I looked back and went, wow, I'm actually making... of the income that I made in previous years. Like my income had dropped by 10% and my working hours had dropped by 60%. What is going on? Yeah, It flies in the face of of everything that I've been conditioned to believe from all all of my friends and and family who are employees. And I I had to sit down and think about like, how is this this happening? How can I make more money in, in less time? And a lot of it came down to just 
a grace of God and being in the right place at the right time. But if if I go to the gym at nine in the morning, there's going to be three or four people in the gym, right? They're the people who don't need to be clocked on, who don't need to be sitting behind the office desk. So these are the guys who own a very successful business who don't need to be in the office. You know, when I go, go to the beach you know, at 10.30 in the morning to have a coffee, there'd be like five people in the cafe because they're the people who didn't need to be at work that day. So I was meeting very wealthy clients, whereas before, like going to see people after hours because you obviously had to go and see them after they finished work. Mm-hmm. These are the people who needed to be at work like me. So I was you know, back back in the day when I was working 70, 80 hours a week, I would have loved to have just one CEO as a client. And when I stopped working all of the hours, I started finding them everywhere. So I was, instead of rushing around with, with butterfly nets trying to catch all these little sort of butterflies, I just sat still, I waited, and all of a sudden the butterflies came to me. Praise the Lord. So, That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I, I would never have believed it. So there's people going, oh, I don't believe that. Try it. Yep. <laughs> Commit to and, it. And the, the thing is, you know, when I got out of the military in 1989, I was selling insurance part-time and then decided, okay, I need to make more money. So I went and seen my general agent at his office and walked in and said, I need to go full-time. What do I need to do? And he said, see more people. <laughs> Real mm-hmm. simple, right? And so it goes into the same thing. You just got to try harder. Go, you know, put yourself out there and do it farther, you know, do, do it more. Mm-hmm. And, and you start getting, like I said, you know, running them late nights, grab, grab a burger on the way home, you know, go to bed, get up in the morning, yeah. out the door you go, you know, meeting somebody for lunch, you know, <laughs> all that stuff, right? Amen. Now, we've started, before the recording started, I mentioned, you know, that I had an opportunity to purchase Bitcoin about 2012 or so, I guess it was. And and it was just after I retired. And I said, Bitcoin's like $37 at the time. I was looking at charts, thought it went from 30 cents to 37 bucks. Yeah, this thing is topped off. It's not going anywhere. But, you know, I kick myself now. But I guess the question I have for you is, is Bitcoin dead? We've seen it go from $64,000 where it is down to 21000 right now. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, it was down to like fourteen or 15000 Is Bitcoin dead or is it going to make a comeback? Well, again, looking at the charts, like obviously Bitcoin's only been around since 2008, 2009, so it's not as long a history. One of my favourite charts I have in my wall in my office is 200 years of the stock market. Mm. So you can see it went down when the wall was on and then it bounced back and it went went down during World War II and then it bounced back and it went down you know, in, the, in the Great Depression and it bounced back. And over time, it's just like you put a saw and it's a sawtooth pattern, but you can see oh, this is what happened when the interest rates were 18% back in the late 80s, early 90s. This is what happened after the 1987 famous Black Monday crash and that Mm -hmm. sort of stuff. So you can see these patterns and you can see what the stock market did when the interest rates were high. You can see what the stock market did when there was a war on. And you can overlay on top of that 200 years of the property market and say, okay, house prices actually went down when interest rates were high. When interest rates went down low again, property prices increased. And you can see these patterns occurring. And there's there's actually a four-year pattern with Bitcoin, which coincides with something called the halving. But very, very basically, if you look at the chart over the last 15 years of Bitcoin, you can see you know, you know, you know, it went from $0.30 cents up to $37, and then it crashed down. And then it took off again, and then it crashed down. So it's actually dropped by like 60 to 80% three or four times. And roughly, you know, every every three and a half, four years, it'll drop by 80%. But then it'll go up by like 10,000%. Mm-hmm. 
So Amen. for the people who are holding, <laughs> it takes a lot of courage to hold. Um, but this is this is one of those times where it's it's on super special at the moment. Yeah. Really, I mean, we 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 talked about because you and I both had a little bit of grain in our beards. Yeah. Uh, we we can remember 1999 when you know Yahoo launched and Google and, and all of these sort of companies. Yeah. The big the big sort of tech thing, and there was Jet.com and Pets.com and all these dot com companies that were given billion dollar valuations. And a year or two later, most of them were bankrupt. Out of, out of business, and when that right. sector went down, Apple went down by eighty percent. Microsoft went down by sixty percent. And you know, if you were holding at that time, you go, "Oh my God, I should jump out!" Right? But imagine being able to buy Apple when it was eighty percent off, or buy yeah. Microsoft when it was you know sixty percent off, yeah. and then hold. The, cra- the crazy thing is, Bob. Like you know, if there was a sale on toilet paper half price, we'd stock up. We go out and buy a year's supply because we know I'm going to use it, right? That's right. Um, yeah. And if there was a sale on, on tins of baked beans, you go, oh, I've got to go and buy all these half-priced baked beans because they'll keep. I can put them in the cupboard. Same is true of good quality stocks. The bad ones like pets.com disappeared um, and the good ones bounce back. So Google, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, these guys bounce back. And Bitcoin is, is scarce. Like Bitcoin is what they call digital gold because there's only ever going to be a finite amount. You can't create new Bitcoin. No one can print more, like the, the Fed can print more cash. Right. Um, the guys who own a company can print more stock certificates. But you can't print more gold and you can't print more Bitcoin. So over time, the value of Bitcoin will increase. And if you look at a gold chart, I mean, there's fluctuations in a gold chart. But you can measure the value of gold over the last six or 7,000 years. We know what it cost a Roman soldier to buy a pair of shoes when Jesus was around because that is written down. And they used an ounce of gold to buy a pair of shoes and a tunic and a hat. <laughs> and now an ounce of gold will still buy you a pair of shoes and a suit and a hat. Yeah. Same, you know, pretty well the same exchange rate as it was thousands and thousands of years ago. But wow. the, the value of the dollar has obviously dropped a lot because your grandpa used to get paid, you know, like, $2 a week or something. That was yeah. a lot of money back then. Yeah, but right. now it's nothing. So, Amen. Amen. You know, yeah, Bitcoin is term, unique in that. I've heard the term decentralized finance or DeFi. What is yeah. that? And is it good or bad? Uh, <laughs> it's again like the chainsaw and, and like the internet. <laughs> uh, it, it can be bad if it's run very badly. And we have seen some DeFi companies famously like you know Celsius and FTX and these kind of goes go bankrupt. Um, you know, we've also seen exchanges go break up because these people and some of them were very young. Uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, I think, was like 27 or something like that. And he was worth $40 billion one day and he was worth nothing the next day. Um, young and inexperienced. I mean, you know, you can be a 15-year-old running an international company if you want to, but you better make sure you've actually done a lot of reading, had a lot of research, had a lot of experience or be surrounded by people and, you know, coaches and mentors and that sort of stuff. Um, so decentralized finance is, is basically like a bank for, for your cryptocurrency. So, yeah, you've got some, you've got some gold or you've got some Bitcoin or you've got some whatever, and you're intending on holding that for a long time. You don't want to spend it right now. You know, if you put a hundred thousand dollars in the bank, you're going to get around about 1% return from the bank, just for leaving your money in there, you know, and you used to be able to arbitrage out your gold because you'd say, I'll put my gold in there. Someone wants to borrow that and go off and do something, they'll pay you a bit of interest. Um, But always you're dealing with a centralised company. So you put your money into, say, Chase Manhattan Bank, 
they're lending it out. If they lend it to someone who's part of the, the ninja loan scandal and, and people were taking out loans in the names of their dog back in 2008 because yeah. they didn't have good credit, yeah. then obviously that loan falls over, the bank falls over, you lose your money. So decentralised finance is, is, again, like eBay, it's like taking out the middleman mm-hmm. and it's peer-to-peer. So you'll say, I want to let, I'll put $100,000 worth of cash or Bitcoin or whatever into this contract, um, lock it up for 12 months, and I will accept, I don't know, 2% is what you want to earn. And I'll say, okay, I want to borrow Bob's $100,000 to go and you know, buy a house or a car, and I will pay 5 or 6%. And there'll be a smart contract agreement between us. I'll pay the money, you get the interest. If I stop paying the interest, you can withdraw the money. So it's it's controlled by a smart contract. It's all supposed to go very, very well because you don't have to rely on an intermediary like a bank in the middle. Um, it's supposed to go well, but obviously, as with anything, you know, people can be bad actors. And we've seen it, you know, in the stock market with Theranos. We've seen it with Enron oh, yeah. and that sort of stuff. Yeah. You have yeah. bad people doing bad things and they can cover their tracks because they think they're clever. They can hack into computer systems and things like that. So, yeah, it, it can be a bad thing if it's, if it's used by bad people. It can be a great thing if it's used by good people. All right. That's your answer. Um, you were part of the first diversified crypto mutual fund way back in 2016. So crypto mm-hmm. has been around a while, right? Yep. And I said, we've seen the news, uh, you know, FTX and other exchange, crypto exchanges. Aren't those like stock exchanges, though, that you know, manage mutual funds and things like that, which you started with back in 2016? How how does all this affect your business? Uh, well, it makes us look really good. <laughs> the fact that we've been <laughs> in business for seven years and we're still here. Um, it, it is it is unfortunate. Obviously, a lot of people lost a lot of money with, with FTX and with Celsius and things like that. Um, I mean, people lost money with Theranos. People lost money with Enron and Worldcom and, and you know, Pets.com and these other things. Um, so it's unfortunate, but obviously we can only regulate as much as we can regulate. So the SEC wasn't going around and visiting the Theranos lady at her home and finding out how much she spent on, on food and, and luxury cars and things like that. So there's laws in place, but it's like having a signpost in place that says you can only do 55 if you wanted to, you could do 80 through that zone. You're probably going to get caught. You're probably going to get in trouble, but you might get away with it for a little while. And so these guys who sort of break the rules and do the bad things, they usually get in trouble. And it might take a year, but they get in trouble. So when you see a company that's been around five, six years, particularly in crypto, not only in mm-hmm. the stock market, um, they must be doing something right. Amen. They must be looking after their clients. They must be actually... You know, keeping a lid on things um, and not doing anything rotten. So, yeah, it's unfortunate to see some of these guys disappear, but it does make us look good by comparison. Yeah, amen, amen. Explain for us how the average person today can use cryptocurrency to obtain wealth as part of their long-term financial plan. Uh, well, again, there's, there's different sides to the crypto because you know, Bitcoin is a, a storage of value like gold. It's also a medium of exchange, so you can literally email Bitcoin to other people and use it as payments. Um, and, you know, you and I are in, in different time zones. If we have to rely on the bank, like today is a public holiday in Australia and I send you the money and it won't be processed by the bank until Monday and then your bank, it's, it's Monday, midnight Sunday at your time. That's going to take days and days to get there. Yeah. So crypto is an instant medium of exchange, so you can use it like that. You can use it as a storage of value. 
And that's why I say Bitcoin is unique because it's like digital gold. Most of the other cryptocurrencies are more like stocks. And when I started trading in the cryptos, I said, oh, this is like the stock market. I know how to do this. I can do this. I can generate good returns for our clients. And so like the first couple of years, we were making like five or 600% because I know how to do the research and make sure we get the good ones and avoid the bad ones. Um, So for for people who want to get started, you can have a look at it like like stocks or you can have a look at it like gold Um, because we've obviously got there's bond markets, there's property markets, there's commodity markets, there's gold markets, precious metals, that sort of stuff. There's different things. It's not just stocks or bonds, different things available to you. And in crypto, there's different things. So you have to have have a look at what you're comfortable with, what your risk profile is, bearing in mind that crypto has four-year cycles rather than 18-year cycles like the stock market. Okay. can be very volatile. It can drop 60% overnight and then go up 1,000%, you know, within a few months later. So I, I, I think, yeah, there's no financial advisors in the world who are currently legally able to give you advice on which crypto to buy. Mm-hmm. So, and that's because there's there's no regulations from the SEC right. or the, right. the, who's the other guys, the CM, CFTC, who are there. Um, there's no regulations. So the guys have got no regulations to follow. So it really becomes like, who do you trust? Do I look on YouTube? Do I do I follow the person on TikTok who says he's you know sixteen years old and made a million dollars last Tuesday and here he is in a Lamborghini, but it's probably rented or it's, it's someone else's. Yeah. Um, so you you really have to do your due diligence. Um, we we've provided for the last eight years we've provided a free service called Crillionaire.com. So it's like CRY for crypto, and then obviously the last bit of Millionaire. So we started, before we even started the mutual fund, we started giving away free advice. Mm. And when I wrote that book you referred to earlier, I wrote that book after I decided to, to quit financial planning. Mm. And I didn't want people going to, because there's good financial planners and there's bad ones, and there's ones who are not so clever. Um, so I wanted to give that book so people could read the book and they'd know how to do their own financial planning, how to choose their own stocks, when to sell the stocks and buy a property and vice versa. That's why I wrote the book. And after I wrote the book and gave that away to people, a lot of people contacted me and said, that's kind of like telling me how to tune up my own car and change my oil and, and adjust the spark plugs and things. I went, yeah, that's kind of what it's like. And this guy said to me, but I don't have time to do that. I pay a mechanic to do that because I don't have time. I'm very busy. And I went, okay. And then he got to his point and said, look, I know how to do it because you showed me in the book, but I don't want to do it. Can you do it for me? And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to start another financial planning business. <laughs> uh, and I did. I started a little one, you know, from the front garage of my home. Um, I, I borrowed $5,000 for the for registration and things like that, started up another business. Um, and a few years later, someone looked at my business and went, hey, I want to buy your business. And they offered me six figures for the business. And I went, great. You know, I'm, I'm in and out. Um, and then I, I can write another book or something like that. <laughs> so we, we created this Crillionaire.com to give away the information and say, if you think of these like stocks, there's a little procedure, there's a four-step procedure, one, two, three, four, to make sure you're always getting the best stocks or crypto and make sure you avoid the bad ones. So we update that site. You know, every couple of weeks we put a new coin up there because there's more than 24,000 coins at the moment. It's a lot to comb through. And the ones that we have recommended, sooner or later, they go up. Some of them up to up to 10,000%. We've done that six times now. We've made over 10,000% on six different projects because we get the good ones. Sometimes it takes two years to get that gain. You know, it's not like you, you buy it now and, and wait till next Tuesday. 
But in that eight years, we've also never had a scam or a rug pull or any of these sort of things where, where someone takes your money. We've never done that because we just follow the process. And we were, we were teaching people how to do this. And then a financial planner actually came to me and said, it's great that you're teaching people how to do this, but can you do it for me because I don't have time? And I'd known this guy since my early days of financial planning, like more than 20 years. I went, oh, I don't really want to mess with your money because we're friends and if I lose your money and if it goes down 60%, you're going to get mad. And he said, no, no, I won't. And he kept pestering me. And so eventually I said, okay, look, I'll create a legal structure. You put in $10,000, I put in $10,000. And, you know, I'll pick the, the cryptocurrencies and the stocks in there because there's stocks as well as crypto in the, in the fund. Um and then if anything goes wrong, obviously, we both suffer and there's a legal agreement and no one can sue anyone. And he said, yeah, fine, do that. So I went to the accountant and the lawyer and said, look, I want to create this thing. And no one had, had created a crypto mutual fund before. It was like, you know, mutual funds like Fidelity and BlackRock and Vanguard and all these other ones. Yeah, yeah. And so I said, we kind of want to make it like that, but not. We've got to change this. It's got to be compliant in 195 countries with legislation that doesn't exist yet. So it's got to be future looking. And they're like, oh, this is a really complicated project. Why are you doing all this? And I said to the accountant and, and, the, and the lawyer, I want to create this crypto mutual fund. It's like Vanguard for crypto. And both of them said, oh, we'll put money in that. And I was like, how many lawyers do you know? How many accountants do you know? They never invest in anything. Yeah. Um, so there was like six or eight of us at this stage who put our money in. Praise the Lord. And I said, okay, well, look, we'll, we'll run it for a year, maybe two years. If it goes well, we'll launch it to the public. If it doesn't go well, we'll just bury it in the cupboard and pretend it never happened. <laughs> but it did go very well because we had the discipline to the four steps of choosing the right ones. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, so we launched it to the public in 2018 after we started in 2016 privately. And, again, you know, we, we haven't had a scam. We haven't had a rug pull. We haven't had anyone rip us off yeah. because it's just one, two, three, four. It, it takes less than five minutes to do the steps. And we we teach people. So if you want to if you want to learn how to do it yourself, if you've got plenty of time, if you're retired or if you're unemployed or whatever, go to quillionaire.com, learn how to do it yourself. Um, great. If you're too busy, then we'll look after it. And obviously we've got to charge for that, right? Mm -hmm. But you know, it's it's transparent information that you can use to enrich yourself. And then what you do with the money is entirely up to you. I mean, if if you put in ten thousand dollars and it went up ten thousand percent, do the math on that. Yeah. And say, what could I do? You know, now what what impact could that have that on my kids? And my now you can go to that fast food restaurant for lunch, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, and and we, we also believe in giving back too, right? So, if anytime you should, you're making more money, you should be that gives you the power to give away yeah. more money and impact yeah, more man. people. So, we, we've sponsored over two hundred thousand kids in emerging countries in Indonesia and in Africa and that sort of stuff. So these kids can actually get food and water and get education. And we don't feed them if they, if they don't go to school. They go to school, they go to an entrepreneurial school to learn how to start their own business because unemployment is a big problem in underdeveloped countries. So they can start a business. They can grow carrots and they can sell the carrots by the side of the road. They can set up a lemonade stand. We'll teach them how to start a business. Mm -hmm. And while they're learning, we'll feed them and water them, and then one day they'll be able to feed and water themselves. Amen. Amen. Hey, folks, Pastor Bob here. That's all the time we have for part two of this great interview, this great three-part interview with Jeremy Britton as we are discussing cryptocurrency for Christians. I'm telling you, folks, you need to drop down to the show notes, check out those resources from Jeremy, get in touch with him, order his books. These are all things that will help to bless you if you go about the process of investing in crypto properly. 
If done improperly, well, you can see the news reports about that. Amen. Be sure to come back for part three, though, in the very next episode, as we'll be concluding this great interview with Jeremy Britton. Till then, this is Pastor Bob reminding you, be blessed in all that you do. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published. With over 800 interviews and 1,000 published episodes, Pastor Bob is known as a podcasting expert for helping others to create their own podcast to share their messages with the world. Please visit our website at www.podcastersforchrist.com. That web address again is www.podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do. Are you a Christian entrepreneur, coach, or author with a message that needs to be heard? Picture this, your voice reaching thousands, your story inspiring hearts, and your business flourishing like never before. Introducing Faithcasters, the ultimate platform that connects faith-driven professionals like you with the power of podcasting. Become a sought-after guest on Faith-Based Podcasts. Share your unique insights and connect with like-minded individuals who share your passion for faith and entrepreneurship as well. Imagine your expertise reaching a wider audience, expanding your network, and propelling your business to new heights. Well, it's all within reach with Faithcasters. So don't wait. Take the first step today on your journey to greatness by visiting our website at faithcaster.org. That's faithcaster.org. Join the Faithcasters community now and unleash the full potential of your faith-driven enterprise. You do not want to miss this opportunity. Faithcasters, where faith meets podcasting and your dreams become reality. Visit faithcaster.org. Let's soar together. And remember, anyone can be a podcaster, but only a Christian can become a faithcaster. Faithcasters, your voice, your platform, your success.